If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 3 to 29 this morning. We have been challenged over the last several weeks about God's power and authority, His grace and love. And we have seen that Jesus is presented to the Hebrew people in the book of Hebrews as more than just a man, but He is in fact God in flesh our Savior, our King, the one who brings us into fellowship with God. He is our Savior. He is Christ. He is over all. Now, next week we will conclude this series on the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's been exciting for many of us to work our way through that together as a church. So I want to challenge you, go ahead and read through Hebrews chapter 13, the final chapter there in Hebrews, as we'll talk about how Christ loves through us as his church, how he calls us to serve together and to honor him. And so uh, go ahead and be reading through Hebrews chapter 13 for next week as we'll cover uh, through that to conclude this series. Today we want to look at a a powerful message through um, most of Hebrews chapter 12. Now there's a lot in here and so I want to challenge you to go back and read through um, Hebrews chapter 12. We're not going to have time to read through all of that passage together. We're just going to read through uh, verses 7 to 10. To, uh, to get us into it. But we want to be challenged together to see um, how God works on us and how He works in us. Now, I think some of us need more work than others. At least I look at my life and I think, oh God, you're going to have to do a lot of work. I don't know if you, you know the little kid's song, uh, He's Still Working On Me. I used to sing this as a little child saying, He's still working on me. Sing it. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Well, I think that, I think it took him a week to make... No, thank you, thank you. There's my, my, kids, my kids' song for the morning. Um, it took him a week to make all of creation, but he's still working on me. And I, I, I look at that and I think, yep, that's me. Hey, there's a lot of work, but we're going to be challenged together through Hebrews chapter 12 on how God works... Uh, on us and how he works in us to help form us into who he wants us to be. So join us in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, if you will, and we'll read just verses 7 to 10. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 7. It says this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone who undergoes, sorry, and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. Let's just pray. Dear God, I thank You and I praise You. For you are a father, a father who knows us and yet loves us. And you work with us each day to help form us into who you want us to be. Lord, you've created the church to be far more than it is today. Help us to learn from you. Help us to learn to love like you love, to forgive like you show mercy. Help us, Lord, to reach out in our community with your love. 
Help us to live and, and to talk so that when people see us, our lives, may they see you and your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know that many of you uh, out here today are parents. Now, I've been a parent a lot less time than, uh, than some of you. But I want to say, I, I think being a parent is the greatest job in the world. But it's also the most challenging job in the world. And it doesn't pay near enough, I think, some days. It, it's challenging, isn't it? And I, now, there are, are wonderful days to be a parent. Isn't it? There's wonderful times of just laughter and, and games and fun. There's times of just taking them to the park and maybe the first time of pushing them on the swing and you can see their excitement. And uh, dad's just going to want to keep pushing them a little bit higher and higher and, uh, and, and watch them go. There's a lot of fun, isn't it, in, in being a parent. There's a lot of fun in, uh, in watching your children grow and seeing the, uh, just the beauty in, in who they're becoming. But what I've found is not fun as a parent is times when you have to discipline your children. Now, I've met a lot of parents in my life. I've never met one who, who enjoys disciplining their children. And, and I hope I never do, really. Because it's, it's a heartbreaking thing to have to do something that upsets your, your children. It, it's hard to say no sometimes, isn't it? Especially if you know this is something they really want or this is something they really want to do and you know that they just don't quite understand why and you go, no, this is what's best. I have to say no to this. I have to do something. Maybe you have to send them to the room. Maybe you've, you've disciplined them in, in whatever way you've seen best. And, and you know you've heard the, the cries or you've seen the tears and your heart melts. And you, you, you want to just go, okay okay you can have it but you know you can't do that and whatever the situation is you know that you're trying to do what is best i remember i remember the first time i ever disciplined one of our kids i cried now lenny would know and, and some of you know i don't cry like i hardly ever cry but i remember seeing the brokenness on the face of this little girl just broke me. And I think it should, parents. I think it should. But yet we have to do what we think is best as parents. We try to lead them in what is right. There's a lot of fun and, and laughter. There's a lot of pride as being a parent. But there's also a lot of heartbreak at times. There's disappointment and there's discipline. And we are challenged as parents to, to walk through that road together, even as a, as a Christian community, as a church, to, to love each other and to encourage each other on that road to being the sort of parents God wants us to be. But the greatest example of a loving parent is God the Father, who loves us. And part of that love, it's not all just lavishing on blessings and grace and providing for us. He does that. He cares for our needs. He, he gives us food to eat and a place to stay. He looks after us. He always will protect us and provide for us. But more than just lavishing us with great things, part of loving us is in His discipline. Now, last week we, we talked about 
some great stories of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to challenge you to go back and read them. And we talked about some pretty ordinary people, some normal people who God did extraordinary things through as they put their trust in Him. And then He ends the chapter 11 and into chapter 12 by saying, look, don't fix your eyes, though, on these people who you think are great heroes of the faith, but fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who provides our salvation. He is our hope and our deliverer. And so we start to learn from Hebrews chapter 12 about God's discipline for His children. Even there, beginning in verse 3, it says, Consider Him, this is Jesus, Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, verse 2 says, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that comes? And it goes on and says, that the Lord rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastens everyone He accepts as His Son. He loves us, and so He disciplines us. He says, keep your eyes as a church. As you remember, the, the book of Hebrews is written to this early church. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus and try to live like Him. He was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. In fact, He bore our sins on the cross. And God seeks to lead us, to be like Christ, to follow in His uh, steps and His example, and to, to seek to, uh, to love others like Him. It says God loves us as we are His children. Verse 5 and 6 says He disciplines others, He calls out those who He loves. Because you want them, He wants us to be all that He's created us to be. He loves us. And so He disciplines us. It says, beginning in verse 11, says, look, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. No one likes to be disciplined, do they? I don't know about you, but in my day, you know, I got a smack. I never once liked getting a smack. I don't know if you have ever had that. Now, some of you, I know in, in Australian schools, you got a, a wrap over the knuckles. Now, we never had that in, in uh, our American school, at least not in my day. But we had, the teachers had a paddle. And it was a big paddle, like that, that big. Uh, a big wooden board that they could whack you over the bottom with. Now, I'm, I'm not saying we bring all this kind of stuff back, but I'm saying I remember getting discipline a, as a child at school, and it was never fun. It was never fun. We would get this hard smack, and I don't know if you've ever been smacked by a board. Like, it, it hurts. It doesn't feel too good. But I, I did learn not to do whatever it was that I did that caused me to get that, that smack. Because if you're anything like me, what happened 
was I was in a small little community and everybody knows everybody and everybody talks to everybody. So by the time I got home, my dad already knew that I had got a smack at school. And so guess what happened at home? I got another smack. And my mom's famous words, as, as many of you have heard these words said by your mom, well, you just wait till your dad gets home. And I never liked hearing those words because I knew when dad got home I was going to get a smack. Now one of the things, and many of you parents may have said this, and I hope you don't ever say it again, because it's, but my dad used to always say, right before he'd give me a smack, he'd say, now I have to tell you this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I used to say, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think so. Yeah. Because I'm the one holding my, my backside here afterward. And he's walking away and he's sitting in his lounge chair. He's fine. I can't sit down for a while. Um, this one is never easy, is it? But it's also not easy for the parent. Because now actually as a parent, looking back, I can go, I know what my dad was saying. Now my dad was a, this strong kind of country farmer, would never show emotion, would, would never cry, would never be like that. And I think... Looking back, now it may have just been a saying you say as parents when he said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. But I think that's one of the times I remember my dad, in a sense, showing emotion, saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, do, I don't want to punish you in order to, to get you to do the right thing, but I'll do what it takes to try to lead you on the right path. This one is never ple- pleasurable for the person who's getting it. It's never pleasant at the time, but sometimes it's useful. It says in verse 11, later on, discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It's a great verse. Verse 12 it says, take note of what God is doing. He is wanting to work through you as a church. He's wanting to provide healing, to provide restoration to the families, healing for our community. He wants to do that through us. And so he needs us to be mature as Christians. He needs us to grow up into who he has created us to be. And so don't look down on those hard times or discipline because God uses those to advance his kingdom, to advance his work. He wants to do some mighty things through us as a church, if we let him mold us, we let him form us into who he wants us to be. Now, verse 13 to 17 starts challenging us as a church to be holy. Now, we talk a lot about uh, holiness, I think, as a church, but maybe we're not fully aware of uh, what that means. And so I just want to say what we mean when we say a church is to be holy. It's not that we are to be perfect in every way. I've never met a perfect pastor. I've never met a perfect person. Jesus is the only one I know who's, who's ever lived, the only one who was sinless. He, he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He was perfect in every way, pure and spotless. We are to strive to be holy, not in that as a church we'll ever be perfect. We'll never reach perfection. We'll never be sinless until we're uh, in glory where there is no sin and there is no corruption. We will make mistakes and we will stumble and fall. We will be unfaithful at times. We will, make, we will uh, hurt each other at times. But we must strive to live like Jesus, to strive to be like Christ. And by holiness, it means you are set apart for a purpose. When the Old Testament says, 
The, the people are, are holy or are, are chosen and set apart. It means you, you are holy. You were brought together for a purpose to be like Christ and to, to live like Him, to, to share His light, the light of His hope and His grace in your community. We are called to be holy. Verse 14 puts it like this. Here's a challenge for you. Verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Try to live like Christ. Try to follow in His example. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now, you know that most people, I think, are pretty easy to love. Some people are a bit more challenging, aren't they? Some people, you may have someone that just grates you the wrong way. That just seems to, to rub against you. And, and when you see them coming, you think, oh, oh, not today, Lord. There was a little lady in a church I grew up in. And she used to say all the time, oh, Lord, give me strength. And she would say it every time when she was teaching us as kids. And now I understand it, teaching kids at times. You think, oh, Lord. And it was probably me that was rubbing it the wrong way, me that was grating on her nerves as a little kid in Sunday school. And she would start her classroom, class, and she would pray, and then she'd go, oh, Lord, give me strength. And then she'd go into her lesson. How odd. Now I think, oh, it was probably me. She probably needed strength to deal with me. I was the one that wasn't always easy to love. Some people are easy to be at peace with, aren't they? But some people do some horrible things. Not just people who may annoy you from time to time. There are some people out in this world who aren't lovely people. They're not living lovely lives by our standards. They have done things or they do things with no remorse, do things that we, would, we can't even imagine. And yet, we're called to love them. We're called to try in every way to be at peace with everyone. To forgive and to show mercy to everyone in the same way that God loves us. And to lead one another in what is right. Verse 15 and 16 says, make, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. And verse 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile so many. Verse 15 and 16 challenges the church to lead each other in what is right, to move each other further and further away from sin, closer and closer to God. We as a church to challenge one another toward holiness, to be like Jesus. And it's hard because we're people. We're, we're normal people, everyday sinful people, born in a sinful world, tempted in a sinful world, surrounded by the darkness of sin, and yet we're called to be the light. And sometimes we can go on the wrong path. Sometimes we can allow that light to be smothered out a bit. And we need each other to come alongside and, and brighten that light. I remember growing up in the days uh, when, uh, on the farm when the electricity would go out all the time and uh, the, it almost seemed like every storm the electricity went out and we were just in darkness. And yet we had uh, lanterns that we'd carry around the house and would light the room. 
But a lantern would only kind of light right in front of it as you walked along. And I remember at times trying to walk down some steps holding this little candle and saying to my mom, look, I, I can't hardly see the next step. And so she came down with her, her lantern and she stood next to me and walked just in front of me and it kind of lit more of the room. What we're called to do as a church is to say, hey, sometimes I don't always get it right. Sometimes I'm struggling to let that light shine and, and we need to come together with God's light through us and let that lift up and, and dispel the darkness and shine out in our community. We need to do that together to move one another uh, toward the light, toward Christ, and lift Him up and away from the sin and the corruption of this world. God is loving us and He's disciplining us. He's moving us toward holiness to try to be like Him, to try to be like Jesus, so that He can work in us and share His light through us. He is a good, a good Father. Verse 18 to 28 reminds the, people, the Hebrew people of some of their history. You see, one of the greatest stories the Hebrew people held to was the story of, of Exodus, of the Exodus from Egypt, when God miraculously led them out of captivity, 400 years in captivity in Egypt, and God leads them through Moses out, of, out from under the hand of the Pharaoh who was the mightiest power the, the world had known at the time. What he said just happened, where people died. And yet, Moses, God called Moses to go and to stand before the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now, he didn't do that easily, did he? He just kept on refusing to let them go. And then God would perform these plagues all across the land. And the people of Egypt would be affected by the plagues, while the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, would be safe. And over and over, the Pharaoh kept turning away from God, rejecting this powerful God. And God just kept prevailing. And stronger and stronger, his power would show. Until finally, the Pharaoh says, that's it. That's it. Take your people. Just take them. I'll let them go. And God victoriously leads them out of Egypt into the desert. And then, as you remember from last week, we are talking about, they look back. Because the Pharaoh changed his mind and says, actually, actually, I want you back as slaves. And so he sends his army after them. And they look back and they can see the Egyptian army chasing them. And they can look and see the, the sea in front of them. They feel trapped. And yet God provides again and he opens up the sea, allows them to go through on dry land as they trust him and follow Moses. And the Egyptians try the same thing and the, uh, the sea closes up and kills the mighty Egyptian army. And God leads them through the, the desert. And He provides for them food each morning. Manna. And then they, they get sick of the manna. And so they say, we want some other food too. And so He gives them manna and quail and provides for them exactly what they need. Brings water out of a rock. And just gives them everything they need. Right on time. But He also leads them to a mountain. Mount Sinai, in which uh, we see the story in Exodus chapter seven. Uh, sorry, Exodus chapter nineteen. This is a mo this is the mountain in which Moses goes up to um, to get the Ten Commandments that we read about in, in Exodus chapter twenty. And this is a mountain that had God's presence on him. God said, "I want you to go to this mountain, and and I, my God's presence is up on the mountain, so no one is even to touch the mountain." 
You will hear the voice of God. You'll know of God's presence. But no one is to touch the mountain. In fact, Exodus 19 says, even if an animal is to touch the mountain, it will die. God's presence is there. And no one is allowed to have access into God's presence. And if you remember uh, the beginning chapters of Hebrews, we talked about the Levitical system, the system of priests that they had set up. And only the high priest was allowed to go into God's presence, into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And, and that was only once a year. He could go into God's presence and offer sacrifices for himself, for the other priests, and then for all of God's people. And the high priest had on him a breastplate that had on it the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And so he represented all of the Hebrew people before God as he went into God's presence. And then if you remember early again in Hebrews, we said that Jesus did away with all that Levitical system. There was no more need for those sacrifices. There was no more need for someone to represent you before God because Jesus had already done that. He is our great high priest who paid the price for us. He is the perfect lamb, the one without spot and blemish, who paid the price for our sin. He is the sacrifice that paid the price for the sin once for all, for all mankind, so that we have direct access into the presence of God. We, have, we can walk with Him, we can talk with Him, we can allow God to challenge us, to change us. Not so in the Hebrew tradition. They're used to this great and powerful God that they didn't have access to. And, and God tells them in, in Exodus chapter 19 that there's this mountain that you're going to find God's presence on. You can hear His voice, you can hear the, the thunder... No animal is allowed to even touch the mountain. And then he says to Moses, I want you to climb up the mountain and see me. And, and I, love, um, I love verse 21 of our, our reading today. It says, Moses was trembling in fear. Now, I don't think there's any untruths in the Bible. I don't. I don't think there's any, any contradiction I found or any untruths. I do think sometimes there's some understatements. And I think that this is probably one of those understatements when it says, look, God's presence is there. No one's allowed in to, to see God's presence. Even an animal who touches this mountain will die. And then he says to Moses, climb up to the top of the mountain and I want to talk to you. And then it says, Moses was trembling in fear. And I think that's probably a big understatement. This is a, the old phrase, I guess, he's shaking in his boots. You know, he's, his legs are shaking. He's like, okay, God. And, 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 he, and he steps in to follow him. This is reminding the people of, of that time and that mountain that, that uh, God led them to and how even their leader was, was trembling and shaking. But he says in, in verse, um, verse 18 to 28 here, he says, I have not led you now to a mountain of fear, to a mountain where you have to, to, to tremble because of God's presence, but to Mount Zion, our eternal home prepared for us by Jesus. John 14 Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when I finish, when I'm done with that place, I will come back and I'll take you to be where I am so that where I am, you may be also. And here he says, we've not, we've not brought you to a mountain of fear where you have to be distant from, from God, but to Mount Zion where you live in God's presence. Mount Zion, verse 22 and 23, says, is a place where there are angels uh, circling the throne and singing. There are other believers, all the ones who have trusted in God for all, uh, all of history are there praising God. And God Himself is, is on the throne. And then it leads to verse 25. It says this. So it says, 
sorry, in verse 23, where it says, You've come to God, the judge of all the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it then, verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Verse 25 is interesting, saying, look, God has not led us to this mountain of fear, which they knew about in their, their history of the Hebrew people, this mountain of Mount Sinai that they were to fear this presence of God. God was powerful and he's majestic, but he wasn't to be messed with. But God said, look, because of Jesus, because he has paid the price for your sin, once for all, all that is behind us, you have access directly to God. We've led you now to Mount Zion. You have pre- forever, eternity in the presence of God, in, in heaven, in paradise, where there are angels and other believers there, and God himself on the throne. You don't need to fear him. God has paid the price for your sin through Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't be afraid to listen to him to allow Him to challenge you and to change you. And all of these passages in, in Hebrews chapter 12 talk about God's love for us. As a parent, He loves you and He wants to lead you to what is best. He wants to lead you to be holy, to be like Christ, to try to follow in His ways and to work through you, to share His light through you, to light up the darkness in the community through you. But we have to allow Him to challenge us, to change us. Now, discipline is never easy. Challenge is not always easy. I don't know about you, but I have sat through my share of sermons in the past that at times I, I, I kind of wish I hadn't because it caused me to look at myself. It caused me to look at my own heart and go, oh, okay, okay, God. Have you ever had one of those messages where by the end of it you're going, okay, God, I get it. I get it. You're talking to me. I get it. I need to change. And, and you say, God, forgive me and lead me. It's hard sometimes to admit that we don't have it all together. In fact, we live in a society that promotes the fact that we need to all have it all together all the time. We all need to be practically perfect in every way. Mary Poppins flying around and just everything is wonderful and everything is perfect. We present to people in our workplaces like everything is fine and everything is smooth. We present to people in the shops like everything is fine and everything is smooth. When we come to church, we often present to one another like everything is fine and everything is smooth. When we stand before God, He knows our hearts, doesn't He? He knows. He sees behind the mask. He sees behind the act. He sees right through it. Some of you parents have looked at your kids and they've said to you, I'm all right. And you've gone, okay, let's sit down. I go, no, no, I'm fine. Go, okay, well, tell me how you really are. And it may take some work, but you get to the end of, and you see some brokenness and you see some hurt or you see some things that we need to work on and you lovingly take time to do that together. God knows the real you. He sees through those masks and He loves you enough to lead you in what is best. Let Him challenge you let him change you verse 28 and 29 it it ends like this verse 28 says therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship god acceptably with reverence and awe 
For God is a consuming fire. I love verse. God is a consuming fire. Growing up in a bush-covered area, fire was something that you always had to deal with. And like you, I've seen, like many of you, I've seen bushfires that have jumped over roads, have jumped over rivers or streams, have destroyed everything in its path. Well, God's love is like a raging fire. Not a fire of, of death, of destruction, but a fire of life and light and hope that cannot be quenched. He is at work in you and me trying to shape us and to form us into who He wants us to be, to love and to encourage one another and to show Jesus to the world. To allow Him just to take over. As a fire takes over everything in its path, allow His love to take over our lives, to lead our church, to heal our community. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't run from God's discipline. Don't run from those hard times, those challenging times. Embrace it. Welcome it. Because God is at work in us. Let me just pray. God, I just thank you and I praise you because you never give up on us. And God, as painful as it is at times, you just keep on seeking to mold us into who you want us to be. Lord, you are our creator. We are but clay. Form us, God, into who you want us to be as individuals, as your church. Help us, Lord, to surrender to you, not just to sing out your praises, but to submit to your lordship. Lord, you are our Lord. You are our God. You are our King. You are our Savior. Help us to follow in your commands. Help us to humble ourselves before you and allow you to challenge us, to change us into who you want us to be, that you be honored and glorified through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.